now, time for seafood news. Happy Monday, and welcome to the Seafood News Podcast. I'm Seafood News staff writer Amanda Buckle. And I'm seafood market reporter Lauren Castiglione. This week's episode is brought to you by Erner Barry's Seafood Import Workshop, taking place in Boston on Thursday, October 18th. The Seafood Import Workshop is a unique opportunity for businesses to discuss the variety of compliance requirements faced by U.S. seafood importers. From federal laws to voluntary certification requirements, the workshop speakers present and discuss best management approaches to raising the bar and meeting the intent of the law. Visit earnerberry.com SIW for more information. Yes, that's right. Uh, Ernerberry actually um, has a special early bird rate going on as well. So until Friday, September 14th, registration is only $699 instead of $799. So it's $100 savings if you lock it in early. Yeah, then you can spend that extra $100 on yourself. Treat yourself to <laughs> googly-eyed fish. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to jump into our first story here, which isn't really a story, but it's something I've been dying to talk about for almost a week now. So a storm Kuwait stuck googly eyes on fish to make them look <laughs> fresh. And I, like, I'm going to say it one more time because it's amazing. A store stuck googly eyes on fish to make them look fresh. It's innovative. And I can see the idea behind it. It makes sense if the shop owner is a seven-year-old boy. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, it resulted in the store being shut down. And there's not much more to the story on that. But, like, if they wanted publicity, like, they got it. Like, unfortunately, they can't make money right now. <laughs> but maybe they were going downhill anyway and was, like, right. one last, last attempt. Yeah, like, yeah. your final hurrah. I'm sticking googly eyes on, on yeah. things. But when I was, like, falling down this googly eye fish, um, like, black hole online... There's, like, photos of, like, googly eyes and other things that are really hilarious, okay? And there's a photo of... Somebody took a photo of their black cat. It's missing an eye. And they stuck a googly eye on the missing eye. Aww. Did it keep it on or was it, like... I mean, the photo photo stuck it on. But anyway, I love googly eyes. And like I said, there's not anything else to the story, but I just wanted to share it because it seriously had me cracking up for days. I'm going to look it up when I get back to my desk. Please do. And I suggest everybody else does as well. Um, But moving along... We do have real stories to talk about, not just this. So, Lauren, why don't you uh, hit us with the list? Okay, so besides the googly eye fish, we have a Russian red king crab analysis from market reporter Janice Schreiber. July import numbers are in, another tariff update, and the cause of death for a North Atlantic right whale that was found off Martha's Vineyard in late August. Fantastic. Not to the right whale death, just fantastic for the story list. But um, (laughs) let's kick things off with our gal Janice's Russian red king crab analysis. All right. According to Janice, Russian red king crab inventories are extremely thin right now, with pricing at 10-year highs on some sizes. Import volumes of Russian king crab are at the lowest level since 2013. Still, lower volumes were seen in 2011. With that said, pricing is currently surpassing both 2011 and 2013 when we look at 16 to 20 count Russian red king crab. Another factor that comes to light in the market is the delay in when the U.S. will start seeing additional volumes of supplies. During the summer, many importers of Russian product believe that they would start to see volume at the end of August or early September. However, product will most likely not come until October. A larger majority of the processing boats will go fish in November and deliver product to the U.S. market just before the Christmas holiday. This follows a more historic, cyclical nature of king crab imports. Nothing, however, seems guaranteed. The strength of the live markets in Asia for king crab and snow crab continued to appear to be growing. Countries like Japan, China, and Korea have been paying premiums for live king crab, 
and therefore boats will fish to serve those markets instead of the U.S. market. And as we discussed previously, when boats go fishing for king or snow crab in Russian waters, they will either catch live crab or process and freeze the crab on board. It's not a situation where the fishermen would do both. So at these increasing price levels, will there still be demand for product at these higher price levels? With the availability of products seemingly becoming more scarce, will buyers continue to pay premiums needed to secure product? With many sizes at an all-time high, pushback from buyers is anticipated, but no one on either side of the coin knows when. Will a U.S. market dry of Russian king crab continue to compete with an overseas market that appears to have a constant thirst for live king crab? At this point, Russian king crab market on reds looks to have more questions than clear answers. Well, that definitely was a lot of questions. Lots, (laughs) yes. So good stuff. So thanks, Lauren, and thanks, Janice. Uh, In other news, July import numbers were released on Wednesday, and according to the data, the month saw the volume of lobster products imported into the U.S. increase 3.5% compared to July 2017. However, the same can't be said for shrimp. So imports of all lobster products in July totaled nearly 10.4 million pounds, a 3.6% increase year-to-date, but imports of warm water shrimp products were lower for the third straight month, down 8.3% in July. So Indonesia, Ecuador, Vietnam, Thailand, and China all uh, shipped less shrimp in July. Shipped less shrimp. Shipped less shrimp. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) That's like going to be our next warm-up for the podcast. (laughs) Now on to our tariff update. On Friday, President Trump said they could roll out tariffs on an additional $267 billion worth of Chinese goods. So basically, there is no end in sight for this trade dispute. Yes. Uh, Fortunately, many associations are speaking out in an attempt to get the U.S. and Chinese governments to suspend further tariff actions. Yeah, and I'm actually like really impressed by this. So uh, multi-industry associations crafted a letter to the U.S. Trade uh, Representative Robert Lighthizer. And while we're, you know, all focused on seafood, um, it really sheds a light on how these tariffs are affecting, you know, everyone. I mean, the National Fisheries Institute and the Maine Lobster Dealers Association helped uh, craft this comments letter. I mean, but so did. And, like, there's, like, it's over 150 organizations. And I was amazed because, like I said, like, you don't think about these things, like, when you just go buy stuff. But there's right. organizations for everything. So there's the American Down and Feather Council, mm. the uh, Americans for Farmers and Families, the Halloween Industry Association. So Ooh, excuse me, I'm submitting shout out my, to them. <laughs> my letter of resignation now and applying to be with the Halloween Industry Association. Little um, does Amanda know it's volunteer only in that association. <laughs> <laughs> Take me now. I love Halloween. Um, National Association of Music Merchants, the National Retail Federation, the North American Meat Institute, People for Bikes, that's a thing. The Pet Industry <laughs> Distributors Association, the Power Tool Institute, the Toy Association, the Fashion, Jewelry, and Accessories Trade Association. I mean, like I said, there's over 150, but yeah, like I'm um, all industries. That, yeah, I'm amazed that these all like number one exist, which makes like I said makes sense. I mean, I think before I joined Seafood, I didn't know you know of right you know these industry organizations, but it's just scary to think all these people are being impacted by the terrorists. But it's kind of nice that this that everybody's coming together. Yeah, and yeah. I, honestly, I think you have to. Yeah, there's power behind numbers. Mm-hmm. So, it's, I mean, it's an extremely well-worded letter. Yeah, so they write, Continuing tit-for-tat tariff escalation with China only serves to expand the harm to more U.S. economic interests, including farmers, families, businesses, and workers. 
unilaterally imposing tariffs on hundreds of billions of dollars in goods invites retaliation and has not resulted in meaningful negotiations or concessions. They're saying that the broad coverage of tariff categories directly harms U.S. companies, farmers, small businesses, and consumers, but disproportionately harms U.S. manufacturers. The proposed tariffs will have a disproportionate negative impact on the U.S. small and medium-sized companies and consumers. The impositions of the tariffs will trigger broad retaliation on U.S. exports to China. And finally, the additional tariffs will cause significant supply chain disruptions. And I really love their conclusion, which states the following. Recognizing the significant challenges that Chinese government policies present for our members and for U.S. economic interests, we recommend that the U.S. government and Chinese government suspend further tariff actions and begin a comprehensive negotiation to address longstanding trade and investment issues. Although the administration continues to argue that it will escalate tariff actions against China until China alters its behavior, we have seen no indication of China changing course. We request that every effort be undertaken now to initiate meaningful negotiations expeditiously. We recommend no further tariff actions be taken until those negotiations have a chance to produce significant and verifiable results, and the Sixth Administration can fully assess the impact of tariffs thus far on American businesses, farmers, manufacturers, jobs, and consumers. Very powerful. I, I, it's, I'm really, I love the letter. Um, but now onto our final story of the day, which is a sad one. Um, so a couple weeks ago we talked about the North Atlantic right whale that was spotted, um, the carcass of the North Atlantic right whale that was spotted off of Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts um, on Sunday, August 26th. So uh, a NOAA spokesperson confirmed that you know they had found a dead right whale. It was like believed to be a juvenile, but they said that the decomposition of it made it like nearly impossible to do um, a necropsy on it. Um, but scientists with the International Fund for Animal Welfare were able to actually conduct a necropsy on the carcass of the whale and um, they've determined that the endangered mammal likely died due to entanglement. So what happened was uh, this team from IFAW, uh, they went to um, do this necropsy in open water um, on August 30th, and they had the help of shark spotters to ensure everyone's safety. How many shark that. spotters do you know? This is a great question, and I'm going to reach out to IFAW because <laughs> I really want to talk to a shark spotter because this isn't a funny story, but like, who has that job? And like, right. what's their like? Do they have like a an average of like time that they have successfully spotted? <laughs> are they the above shark? water? Are they below water? Yeah, is there, are there multiple people from like all sides? Right. I would, I would hope so. Like, what's the code? Like, because then I also feel like, like shark in the water, right? Like, I feel like that <laughs> might cause panic. Or like, is there like a code words? Or like pineapple, guys, pineapple. <laughs> like, move quicker. Like, well, the I pineapple's would, getting ripe. You know, like I would think it's okay to instill a little panic to get yeah. people swimming a little faster out of the water if you know if they spot a shark. Yeah, but I mean, these people are obviously very brave. These scientists that are in open water doing this because, like, I didn't think about it like from that aspect of it. Is that like, um, and, and when they were doing the the autopsy on this whale, it's like they had you know, which I'll get into in a minute, but like there was signs that a shark, um, you know, attacked the whale after mm-hmm. its death. Right. So it's like, what's you know, what's stopping it? I mean, it's an animal. Yeah. It's going after these types of things. But sharks in the well, area know it's there. Yeah, but I mean, the fact is that like this is an endangered you know whale. 
Um, the North Atlantic right whale, I mean, there's only an estimated like 450 left, mm-hmm. but it's important that we figure out, you know, why these animals are dying just so we can prevent something in the future. So, I, like I said, I think it's really important that this team went out there in open water with the help of these shark spotters, um, you know, to ensure this everyone's safety, but they were able to... You know, successfully conduct a necropsy on the juvenile right whale. The uh, right whale is believed to be about like a year and a half old. Oh. I, yeah, and it was um, likely one of the five North Atlantic right whale calves that were born in 2016, 2017. But um, what the team found was that, you know, there was decompos- uh, decomposition, obviously, and parts of the carcass were missing, but they documented 11 lesions including several linear depressions and bruises that are consistent with entanglement and line, uh, particularly around the flipper. And like I said, they also found significant shark predation on the carcass, which appears to have happened post-mortem. So, you know, they didn't find any gear still on the whale, but because of the bruises on the body, they determined that it likely died as a result of the entanglement. With that said, they have also taken samples from tissue um, just to make sure that there were no signs of infection or disease. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, it's it's important to figure out how we can right. Stop you want to be correct if you're gonna yeah. point fingers, you know. And and with 450 right whales left, I mean that's what you have to do. Right. And I mean we're talking 450 after just like there was 17 a total of 17 North Atlantic right whale deaths in 2017. 12 were in Canadian waters and five were in U.S. waters, but they all were primarily linked by the fact that their deaths were due to entanglement in fishing gear or being struck by a vessel. And unfortunately, there's only around 100 females of breeding age in the population left, and no new calves were spotted in the calving grounds off Florida this year. So, not good. Um, but and like I'm going to wipe my tears away now. And no. But at least, like, you know, like I said, these scientists are making effort, and hopefully... Yeah. I've, I've talked to, you know, uh, well, my future leadership, I was talking to people about the ropeless fishing gear that they're trying to implement mm-hmm. in order to, you know, stop whale entanglement. But unfortunately, it's just like it's not there yet. It's like too right. expensive and it's just, it can't be done right now. And, you know, but so, something still has to be done. Right. And I think the more that we talk about these issues, the more awareness it brings. And maybe someday somebody will be like, hey, I can, I know how to figure it out. I know how to. And less than you know. 10 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> That's the key. It's like figuring it out and also making it cheap. So. Yes. On that note. <laughs> On that right note. Let's, let's all think of the, the fish with googly eyes, googly yeah. eyes <laughs> on it. Back to happier thoughts. Googly eyed fish. And that wraps up our show for the week. Once again, this week's episode was brought to you by Ernaberry Seafood Import Workshop. Take advantage of early bird pricing, which ends on September 14th. Visit ernaberry.com slash SIW. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you back here next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.